a taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR. My name is Tina Janukas. 3CR broadcasts from Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. On the show today, I have Emily Collier and Kevin Brophy. Towards the end of last year, Emily's debut collection, Do You Have Anything Less Domestic, published by Vagabond Press, won the inaugural $2,500 Five Islands Poetry Prize for a first book of poetry. Emily is an award-winning playwright and a performer of her poetry at venues around Melbourne. Emily will talk about her collection and what winning the prize means for her and her work. The prize is an initiative of previous Five Islands Press Managing Editor Kevin Brophy and the Centre for Creative and Cultural Research at the University of Canberra and Australian Poetry. Kevin, who is the administrator of the prize and a respected poet and teacher of creative writing, We'll talk about the prize and its rationale and what it hopes to achieve. I should add that the prize also recognises the publisher of any award-winning book with a $1,000 prize. But first, let's hear Emily Collier read her poem, Everyday Antigone, from her award-winning debut collection, Do You Have Anything Less Domestic? Antigone is in every kitchen, ordinary daylight bravery, autumn leaf suburbs and brutalist housing towers, She's wearing new pink kicks, dragging on a cotton-pilled sweater, mundane domestic, the room with knives, an oven, a sunken silver hole shaped like a cradle, echoes of all the kitchens that came before. Dad's done something rotten, a sister in another room who's neither violent nor erotic, surviving her own unhappiness. On this ordinary day, all the Antigones stand up in their dry mouth way against a slapstick joke, a sweaty hand, a gun held, by an invisible man. They each stand with grumbling stomachs, coffee breath, toast crumbs in their toothbrushes. They open their mouths, these everyday Antigones. Rise, felled. Speak, silenced. And nobody makes a big deal of what happens. Her body not meat enough to feed the news cycle machine. Maybe a heart-sick mother or friend who wonders at the end of the day why the kitchen is so empty. Dishes silent, lights on, waiting for every Antigone to get home safe, for all of her stories to be told. That was Emily Collier reading her poem Everyday Antigone from her award-winning debut collection Do You Have Anything Less Domestic? Before we talk with Emily about her book, let's hear from Kevin Brophy about the Five Islands Poetry Prize for a first book of poetry. Kevin, what makes an award-winning debut poetry collection such as Emily Collier's, do you have anything less domestic? There's no formula, as you know, and as everyone who writes poetry knows. So I, I can't offer a template and I can't offer a formula, but what I can say is that this book has consistency and the consistency I expect has come from long hours, many days and probably many months of writing and rewriting and reconsidering poems and throwing out a lot of poems. So consistency, I think, is a big thing for a new book. The judges described the originality of this book as breathtaking. Originality is the other element, I guess, for which there's no framework. 
fundamentally, I suppose, what originality is, is the ability to surprise and delight the reader with turns, with effects, with insights, uh, with imagery, with language that comes unexpectedly and comes with a jolt. And this book does that over and over again. And I think in particular, this book, and not every book will be like this book that wins the prize, this book in particular has a feel for and a sense of voice. Perhaps that has something to do, Emily, with you being a playwright and a performer and knowing how the voice works Mm. and how voice can convey attitude, Mm. personality, history, politics, and yet still remain very personal and still remain accessibly attractive and inviting the reader in. So that complexity is there in this particular book. One of the things that strikes me about the book is its sophistication. So do you think that first books do need to show a sophistication, not only in terms of handling the poem as form, but also thematically? Yes, it is a sophisticated book, and maybe that says something about um, uh, the importance, perhaps, of delaying your first book until you have some maturity to consider what you are writing and what you want to write about and how you want to write about it. If you had asked me that question before Emily won the the award, I would have said potential is more important than actual sophistication for a first book. And I think the judges would have set out to look for potential and what they found was Emily's astonishing book. As uh, prizes go, this is an unusual award because it uh, simultaneously recognises the publisher in this case, Vagabond Press. Why do you think it's important to recognise a publisher with a prize, which here is $1,000? Insofar as a prize-winning book already bestows a certain prestige on and implicit uh, recognition of the publisher. Well, this prize comes out of a publishing house, Five Islands Press. I worked with Five Islands Press for 12 years and Ron Pretty for more than 20 years. I worked with him for a good number of those years and watched him work. I know how thankless the task is. I know how profitless it normally is. And I know how expensive the process of publishing is. Five Islands Press, I suppose, marks both the generosity of those who venture into publishing poetry and faith in new writers and new writing. We wanted to do both, to recognise the risks that publishers are taking and give them some compensation for the risk and at the same time recognise new writers and new writing. Do you think prizes are important to poets? Yes, I do. In one way, it's unfortunate that only one person can win a prize for each of the prizes each of the years, but um, it wouldn't make any sense to distribute prizes equally and democratically among poets. Poets have to be good losers. When they win, it's quite magical and wonderful and hopefully helps all poets to to feel that there's some recognition there, there are some readers there and there's some standards there for them to, to fly towards. Do you think prizes can open doors for poets? I hope so, even if they're doors in their own heart and doors in their own self-esteem that are being opened. Um, Which is very important, oh, I yes. think, to poets. Mm. Yes. Therese Virtue here from Music Sans Frontières, 
Subscribe to 3CR for music programs dominated by Australian artists, supporting Australian music making and lifting your day with glorious sound. 3CR is a membership-based organisation. We depend on our members' support. That's why we make it so easy to subscribe. Call 9419 or go online to 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. I'm Tina Janukas and I'm talking with Emily Collier about her award-winning debut collection, Do You Have Anything Less Domestic? and Kevin Brophy, administrator of the Five Islands Poetry Prize for a first book of poetry, which Emily's book won last year. Emily, congratulations on the prize. Thank you. I'm intrigued by your title, Do You Have Anything Less Domestic? Is it an invitation or is it a provocation to the reader? That's a very good question. I hadn't thought of it in those terms before. I think there's something provocative in the title, but there's also something playful. In a literal sense, the title came from something that was actually said to me once about my poetry. So when I was putting together this collection, I found something pleasurable in the idea of kind of reclaiming that, which was, I think, intended as a slightly negative comment on my poetry by the person who made it many years ago. And I had it always stuck in my mind, so I kind of wanted to bring it back in and, um, yeah give it some sort of status so there's a provocation there but it's also a genuine invitation because I do value the domestic the small the everyday in poetry in my poetry and in the poetry of other people as well as the interplay between that and kind of larger scale questions of the world Uh, and also the domesticity of language and kind of interrogating language and its everydayness as well as its kind of epicness or otherness. Who would you say are some of the poets you have been influenced by? Oh, um, many poets. I came to poetry not as a very young person, but probably more into my 20s. I don't have any kind of memories of, say, poets I discovered at school or anything like that. So I came to poetry through local poets, through going to spoken word events. I remember going and seeing and hearing Andy Jackson and Jennifer Compton and Jennifer Harrison and people like that and just being so amazed at these poets that were in my very midst and then you know, through them and through going to these events, I discovered other writers like Dorothy Porter, who I, you know, to this day regret never meeting, but I love all of Dorothy's work. And then, you know, international poets I love would include people like Alice Notley, you know, have a lot of time for and Sharon Olds. And so I guess I'm naming a lot of women here, but it's just a diversity of poets. And I guess all of them, that thing that you said before, Kevin, about voice, I think I do respond to voice. I also love reading poets who write very, very differently from me. I will devour Jill Jones' book of poetry and it's so different from the kind of voice that I have and uses language and the page in such a different way. I think I'm quite eclectic in my tastes, but always looking for something that kind of sparks in me, either a sense of recognition or a sense of, oh, I don't do that at all, and that really feeds me. You're also a playwright. How does that feed into your poetry? Um, I mean, the forms are very different. Uh, So I guess in some ways when an idea or a story or a question or an imaginarium occurs to me, it sort of already starts to exist in one form or the other. Obviously with playwriting, I know it's going to be me and many other people bringing bringing the idea to life. It's a shared, a collaborative art form. But I do think, again, you're right, Kevin, in what you said earlier. I mean, I think I'd I think there's a playwright sensibility in my poetry. I think I often am wrangling with voice, perhaps with an argument almost in poems. And I know there's a lot of people who would argue that poetry is not the place for arguments, that it's a form that does other things. But I often can't help that. And I do have a strong sense of that, exploring an idea through a poem and then trying to kind of peel back too much idea and let the language just speak for itself. 
I think they speak to each other in form. For me, when I write a play, it is a living poem. It is something that exists in a, in a three-dimensional space that an audience enters into the same way as a reader enters into a poem. And often to tone in both of them is very important to me. Playwriting often just comes down to scale. It's something that's much a bigger idea that I can really get my teeth stuck into. What I find interesting about your poetry, and it certainly we find this in the opening poem of the collection, is that it starts in one place, mm. but it takes us somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it would be lovely to hear the opening poem of the collection. Indeed. Thank you. I'd love to read that. So this is Friday night at Jimmy Wong's. No food at home, so I've stopped at Jimmy Wong's, waiting in the fluoro with my book. Slowly hacking my way through a great American novel full of baseball metaphors I don't understand. Three cops walk into the Chinese restaurant. Not a joke, it's just what happens. Three cops, three guns. I wonder briefly what would happen if I tried to grab one. The guy appears with my food, asks if I need a fork. Have a nice night, yeah? And because he says it with a question mark, I believe he really cares. I get home and all I want to do is watch So You Think You Can Dance. A skinny girl dances in a white dress and Lady Gaga is judging with blue hair, her body fierce like a bird. She leaps from her seat at the end of the dance. I love you, she cries, and the dancer glows. Gaga has tears in her eyes. I eat my combination special fried rice, mute the sound during ad breaks. The street outside is quiet, full of parked cars dreaming. It's an intriguingly public yet domestic poem which I think characterises in some ways the collection. Is that your intent, to create a nexus or link between the public and the domestic? Yes, I mean intent is a strong word, isn't it? I guess like many poets, I just write what feels like a moment that I want to explore through language or through images. And I suppose it's something that has sparked or lit something up inside of me or felt difficult or crunchy or hard to make sense of. And for me, maybe I think that is very much to do with that, that contrast between the personal interior lives that we lead and the public lives that we lead, the social and also the political lives that we're all part of all the time. My own life is just constantly trying to make sense of the relationship between those things and try to find a balance. I mean, I think it's difficult to be a human and find balance. And for me, writing poetry is part of that effort. Would you like to read The Space Between? Yes, The Space Between. This child did not grow in me, but has found a place under my skin. Each time she leaves, I am a little more pulled out of shape. My body remembers this yearning to find comfort in another. Years spent throwing myself up against the wrong person, clinging at night, dissolving with morning coffee, smudged mascara and muttered excuses. The small hours are calmer now, but something worries at me, wide-eyed in the dark. Is it grief? All that this flesh has failed to do. Thicker now, less buoyant. Things don't bounce back like they used to. Certain words have always stumped me. Lover, mother, baby. I fumble with their intimacy. Still can't find the name for this dragging behind the ribs I'm left with each time. We used to fight when she went, struggle in the ebb of her absence. Slowly we have learned to be kind, hold the space between us with care. Like much of the collection, it seems very personal. I could read it as a kind of love poem for our era of uncertain relationships. What is it that you're suggesting in this poem? Well, it is very personal, you're right. And I, mean, I don't mind saying it's, it's definitely about me grappling with the relationship I had with my stepdaughter um, in, in the first years when, when we met and when she became part of my life. And, and again, that, that tension I mentioned earlier between the internal and the external 
trying to be a good person while also being true to my own emotional, um, you know, my own emotions and feelings of, of discomfort as that relationship sort of found its, found its place. But beyond that, beyond the very personal, I mean, I do, sometimes I take on these sort of subjects and there is an, there is an intent or an idea or a hope there that they might also um, open up spaces or allow spaces in a reader for, for similar kind of um, difficult or slightly sort of slippery relationships or feelings that, that they have. Let's hear local amnesia. Okay. There was a front yard tree you climbed, height thrill and warm bark against your skin. You don't know what kind of tree it was. Today, waiting for your mother in the city. She's running late and it's pouring rain. Did she slip? Is she okay? A sudden, violent outburst. It never used to rain like this in Melbourne, did it? A heavy, humid gush that sucks brollies inside out. See her in the distance, both smaller and more certain than you remember. You booked an Indigenous walking tour for her birthday. The guide starts by showing possum pelts and baskets, photographs and stats of sheep-heavy ships. Within years there were six million mouths to the ground, munching food sources, hoofed animals galloping, an empire built on enthusiasm and brutality. The group clucks concern. If only the settlers had known better, done better, listened more, blundered less. Outside in the rain-fresh air by Burarung, River of Mists, the guide plucks a leaf with white spots. People think it's bird shit or cobwebs, but they're lerps, made by tree lice, sticky sweet sugar you can eat. Mothers would teach their children where honey was hidden in a flower, which leaves to chew and which to leave alone. Remember your primary school project, how proud you were to talk about orchards planted here by your ancestors. Diligent German immigrants, long-faced and genteel, settlers who formed a community and called it Waldo, a clearing in the forest. How much is missing from your inherited memory? Apples and pears were raised in favour of suburban dwelling well before you entered the family line. Stories passed down your father's side, but your mum's a quieter song, Fragments, Dundee dirt floors, a ship, a death at war. That front yard photo, you as a squint-eyed toddler, chubby and scowling on your mother's lap, siblings clustered close, her face a soft surprise. How did I end up here? The climbing tree's not in the picture, a detail half-remembered, a kind of drifting amnesia easy to dismiss. Your life is not yet dependent on the knowledge of a tree. The poem manages to be both about a day out and a critique of, we might say, colonialism. Is that your intention in writing that poem? Yeah, absolutely. I think that poem was an exploration of place and belonging and notions of inheritance and legacy. So, again, there's a lot of big ideas that I was trying to kind of wrestle into something, but that really came from that moment. That image has stayed with me, which I don't know if I capture that well in the poem, but of seeing my mother come towards me and having been worried that she was running late and was she okay, so that sort of natural mother-child sort of anxiety. And then all that kind of circled around it on that day, that sense of what we inherit from our families, what they give to us and all that we don't know. And I guess a growing awareness of place as, you know, well, I'll speak for myself here as a, 
as a settler, as a white Australian who probably up until the last maybe 10 or 15 years, I hadn't thought that deeply about where I came from and where I lived, where I grew up and what that meant in terms of geography and place. I mean, I knew that I had ancestors from other countries, but it wasn't a deep part of my sort of self-awareness. So just exploring that a little bit more in terms of my place here and the contrast of the deep Indigenous history of this country. So the poem was trying to sort of play with all of those things, but I guess particularly that moment of a vision between mother and daughter and, and what we're given and what we're not given and what we need to find for ourselves. Reading through your collection, I have this sense of uh, the question of belonging running through the collection in many different ways. One of the things that strikes me about the collection is its critique of given biological destinies. I think your poem, Old Blood, exemplifies this to some extent. Would you like to read the poem and tell us about this poem? In a way, again, it's about a very small, minute moment which is revealed in the poem, which is this sort of thing of finding some evidence of blood on my underwear a couple of years after I stopped menstruating, which was to do with some cancer treatment that I'd had. So that's kind of the specific moment that kind of awakens something in me is interesting to explore poetically. I mean, that notion that you mention of um, biological destinies, I think is, is fascinating because, yes, there's a lot in the book about myself and my body as a woman, the things that this body has done and hasn't. That's probably even literally a line from one of my poems um, in terms of childbearing or not and, and having a cancer diagnosis and all, all of that meant for me. Um, facing mortality. So yes, I think that those themes are very important to me as a human living aware of my own mortality. I'll read it. Old Blood. After two years not menstruating, ovaries petrified by chemotherapy. Rust spots on undies drag up pubescent memories. The same surprise. Where has this stain come from? Strange shame. Have I done something wrong? It's dark, like old blood, a memory. Questions scurry the mind, chemical menopause fling, or more sinister rupture. There is a low risk of uterine cancer with this treatment. I hook danger of tiny knowledge, don't touch Google, just don't. In the immediate now of hot February Sunday, scour handbags for tampons. Find one, roam the house, lost for a moment. The action familiar for 30 years is now awkward like being observed, laughed at by the body gods. She thought she was off the hook. None of them are. When will they get that and live every day with death in their mouths? Here it is. Blood. Life. Death. In the room every day. It's a powerful poem. It's, um, I think, a poem that uh, raises many questions about the biological destiny of women in particular. And there is a sense in your collection of critiquing and interrogating women's lives is that uh, important to you? Yes, that's very important to me. I live and write um, from a feminist perspective and, and my own particular brand of feminism, which is for me largely to do with interrogating um, givens and givens in every situation. Yeah, so around our bodies, around language, around you know places in society. So I see feminism's role as, as being something that kind of just taps away at those and tries to make them more visible so we don't just kind of carry on through life with these inherited narratives or rules about how we should be or how the world should be. So... Yeah, so I mean that's very important to me that my work kind of is part of that um, project to sort of to just tap away at, at, at givens and at narratives, and that's you know that's what I love about poetry and what I think poetry can do that um, best of mo best of all art forms is is interrupt um, narratives and, and question them and kind of just provide other ways, other kind of slippery ways to sort of engage with our lives. So we could say that maybe you see the poem as a, a moment of political intervention in the cultural discourse. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm uh, 
cautious to say what poetry can and can't do but that's my intention absolutely is, is to intervene with a moment and that can be an intervention that can make someone laugh or have a feeling or awaken something spiky and, and kind of um, political within them but I think more it's probably the cumulative power of poetry that does that you know we all read each other's poetry we write our own poetry and together that makes this incredible you know kind of cacophony of, of interruptions that that is very very important and if, if that ever died out then that would be a, a, a terrible day so yes I think it's super important. What has the prize meant for you personally, winning this prize? The word that came to me was it's very moving, so I'll just say that. Um, it is very moving because, you know, as, as Kevin rightly pointed out, we all spend a long time, we spend a lot of time as poets, as writers, as artists in general, with wondering if, if our work has, has meaning or connects to others. I guess that's one reason why many people make art is to connect with other people and one way to have that confirmed is either when, when a work is published or when people give you some feedback. So a prize is a very kind of shiny form of that kind of confirmation that what you're doing has meant something to people personally but also culturally that has added something of value to the broader cultural conversation. So it's lovely to have that validation to have it from peers, um, you know, so the judges are poets, so that's very meaningful to me. And definitely to have the prize awarded by a small press is hugely meaningful for me because, you know, certainly in my own work as a poet and in my work as a playwright, I work in the independent sector. I work often in unfunded environments with grassroots people, with grassroots initiatives. And so, yeah, I mean, I agree with Kevin, the work that small press publishers um, do is, is incredible in terms of nurturing our culture and our writers. So to have my work recognised by a small press um, prize is really hugely important and meaningful. Kevin, what is your advice to poets aspiring to put together a first collection? Well... Who am I to give advice on something, something as urgent as that? My first bit of advice, if I could give advice, would be to tone down the urgency and take your time and uh, make this book the best book it can be and make its flaws, you know, the best flaws they can be as well. And its limitations are part of its attractions. So make it be what it must be. But that takes time, I think. So, yes, the urgency is important and er every poet working towards their first book must feel that urgency and the passion f to have it done or it won't get done. But I think it's also important to take your time, show it to lots of people, talk to lots of people about it who are reading it for you and with you and um, just keep reconsidering, revising, refreshing the manuscript. As a prize, what do you hope it will do for the poetry landscape in Australia? I've already been criticised for wanting to establish a prize for first books and not a prize for, well, for last books or for middle books. <laughs> that would be or, tricky. <laughs> it would be tricky. A first book is a particular kind of prize and the first book prize honours Five Islands Press's commitment to new writers and new writing and to nurturing poets. Having spent 20 years teaching creative writing students and having felt over and over again a huge inner relief that young people still write poetry, I want that to keep happening. One way to help that along is to offer a first book prize. I want to let poets know and publishers know that prize entries are open all year round through until July the 15th in 2023. Let's uh, hear a final poem from Emily. Well, in the spirit of endings, I thought I might read this poem, which is called Before the End. I walk in the park early morning and listen to birds. The only one I can name by sight is the show-off burble magpie, 
One tree's a popular hangout. I peer, sore-necked, can't see the birds, so it sounds like the tree is singing. When I turn to leave, they emerge, a travelling symphony of arrows. At home I use my bird sheet. Small with a sweet song, could be a brown thornbill, native to this area, wonder about its real name before English words got slapped over. They're probably just house sparrows, an introduced species. I picture them flutter wing in cages, months on ocean-hungry ships. Do birds get seasick? Now a pest, no amount of effort will exterminate them. I walk in the park early morning. Three planes drag bass notes through the flight path overhead. What do birds make of them? Watch out for the big howling ones. I learn that snarge is the word for what is left of birds when they fly into propellers. Now a catch-all for the multitude of accidental deaths inflicted by humans on animals. I learn that the period since the baby boom is called the Great Acceleration. We are racing towards something. What do people sprint towards? The end, I guess. I walk in the park early morning, gaze up at the singing tree, sore-necked and squinting. Hope to see birds before the day begins. That was Emily Collier reading from her award-winning debut collection, Do You Have Anything Less Domestic? I'm Tina Janukas. You've been listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. Spoken Word broadcasts every Thursday at 9am on 855am on your radio dial or live stream 3cr.org.au. Our guests today have been Emily Collier and Kevin Brophy. Emily is the inaugural winner of the Five Islands Poetry Prize for a first book of poetry, which is available from Vagabond Press. And Kevin Brophy, the administrator of the prize, whose latest collection is In This Part of the World and which is available from Melbourne Poets Union. Thank you for listening.